Hello, and welcome back to the Truly Other podcast. Today's episode marks the first of our new regular installments celebrating women in science, tech, math, and engineering careers. I am delighted to be joined by Adela Said, the co-founder of VIA360, an education technology enterprise using virtual reality to enhance the learning experience and raise awareness for social causes. Is it possible to introduce social issues into the education system? And how exactly has gender impacted Adila's experience in starting an enterprise? Stay with us to find out. I'm actually really fascinated by the entire concept behind VIA360. And so I was wondering if you can tell us more about that and the inspiration behind the name, you know, the story of how you came to that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, you know, firstly, thank you so much for having me here. <laughs> um, the first time doing a podcast, so very exciting. Cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, congratulations for launching this as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, I think Fear360, yeah, so um, the idea actually came from an innovation lab that I attended, um, you know, while still a student in university around two years ago. So um, this innovation lab was in Denmark. I went there for, you know, uh, one of my uh, summer holidays. And, um, you know, the, the idea was generally to do with using virtual reality as, a, as an educational tool. And the, the context that we wanted to apply it in during the innovation lab was actually, uh, you know, integrating the refugee students that are coming into the, the European classrooms during the refugee crisis. So, you know, we were thinking of how can we educate the European students to accept, um, you know, the, all these new students that are coming into their classrooms and, you know, in turn, uh, in turn, reduce localized violence, uh, you know, that mm. we see happening a lot. So the idea was that using this, you know, fun, cool, sexy technology, we can perhaps attract these European students to, uh, you know, put themselves in the shoes of the Syrian refugee students that were coming in. So our, we had a whole VR-assisted curricular plan where the, the European students would actually go through the plight of the refugee students, you know, how hard it was for them to make it to Europe, you know, and what they were escaping. But at the same time, we also wanted the European students to feel like, um, you know, they were actually benefiting from these new students coming in. So the VR experiences were also supposed to depict um, the tech scene, you know, in pre-war Syria, um, the, the cultural scene as well, you know, the music, the arts of Syria. So we wanted to make it into a whole curricula that, um, you know, that will not focus on sympathizing with these students, but more like empathizing with these students. And that was a whole idea. Um, it won, uh, you know, it, it, it was selected as one of the top five uh, projects out of 200 projects in the program. So when I came back to Singapore, I realized that my project mates, they were all uh, working adults. So none of them really had the time to carry this forward. Um, but I, I wanted to, you know, I, I, firstly, I had lots of time, right? Like, I didn't have a job. I was a student. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I really wanted to carry this forward. So I 
I basically met my co-founder in university as well. I told her about this plan. She was very, very excited about this. But we realized that, you know, this uh, this solution is not going to f- uh, fly exactly in Singapore, right? Because, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we do not have the exact same problem that we were solving in Denmark. So yeah. we decided we wanted to use VR in the context of destigmatizing mental health. Uh, you know, when we started out and we were like, there's this whole like roadmap that we want to follow where we want to use VR for social issues, VR for skills development, um, you know, VR for experiential learning. But we started out with mental health education and, um, you know, we just, uh, over the over the last two years, we tackled social issues. Uh, we tried to create VR-assisted curricula for these social issues that were used in schools and universities. We created VR games for skills development. Uh, we created VR content for lab simulations. And these are labs that um, schools or universities didn't have access to because these labs were so expensive to get their students into. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I mean, you also asked about the inspiration behind the name. So yeah. when we first started out, um, you know, my co-founder and I, we finished the pitch deck and the, the only last uh, slide that was remaining at 5 a.m. in the morning was um, the title. And we were so tired. We were like, I don't know what we're going to name it. And um, um, I basically said that, hmm, you know, like I kind of want to name it something like virtual experience, real empathy, and then my co-founder was like, why don't we shorten and call it Veer? Um, and, you know, as the project has evolved so much, um, I think empathy itself has taken a broader meaning for education. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, to, to also incorporate skills development side and the experiential learning side, we have changed our tagline slightly to be virtual uh, experience, real education. Yeah. That's incredible. I'm so excited about the potential here because... I think over the last few years, we've really seen the VR technology industry grow. And I mean, usually it's just applied to like digital and gaming content. And so to harness it the way that you have, it's really, well, I mean, revolutionary for education. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) I, I mean, on this journey, was it difficult for you to have carried it? further into a, an actual um, enterprise because it, it started out as a project, right? You mentioned. Mm, yeah, no, definitely. I think it's, I mean, it has been crazy difficult and, you know, it continues to be difficult. But I think, you know, as you go along the way, you realize that, hey, you know, uh, now I have more resources to solve the, fu- the future problems that I might face. And, mm-hmm. Just to put into context as well, right? I mean, my co-founder and I, we are, we are pretty young, um, specifically in the education technology scene. Mm-hmm. Mostly, you know, you, when you say education entrepreneurs, you mostly expect people in later stages of life, like probably in mid-30s or early 40s or even further. And this is because the education industry uh, or the education scene in general is so hierarchical, right? We value experience and we value um, superior, as in, we value like experience that comes with age. So it has been pretty difficult for me and my co-founder, you know, to be in this space. And mm-hmm. 
um, at such a young age. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, there's this whole other group of problems that you face with, you know, being women in the tech, uh, tech scene as well. And I think we, we have been facing that too. But of course, it's not, you know, we're fortunate to be in Singapore where, um, you know, it's not so in your face, but it's mostly in terms of, you know, you will sometimes you'll hear comments that are not very nice, um, but, you know, I just want to move forward. So I think um, social acceptance is one thing, being, you know, young female founders in this scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on top of that, of course, the, the hardest thing, I think, is also um, going out to your clients. And I think the most important thing for an enterprise is to be as close to their clients as possible. And for us, um, you know, these are educational institutions, um, schools, universities, you know, your polytechnics around the whole region. So I think, um, you know, when we go as young female founders to these places, they, you know, these are not the faces they're expecting, right? They usually, when people pitch them uh, products, they are expecting like, you know, people who come with a lot more experience. Um, and a lot more uh, backing but you know I think that's that's something that you know you just got to get through yeah Um, and I guess um, you know just making your clients believe that you know you have a product that can actually help their students and that can actually help their teachers and seeing is really believing so I think Mm -hmm. the most difficult part is to get the first demo and you know after you get your first demo I think things become a lot smoother for us yeah so I think Mm -hmm. you know um I guess um, these have been some of the biggest difficulties, but of course there has been, you know, um, as as you continue along the path, you also get, uh, you know, people's trust. You also gain their trust. So um, I think, you know, when we were probably younger in university, when we started this, a lot of people, you know, didn't want to back us because, you know, they probably rightfully so thought that, you know, these students will probably go out and find a job after graduation. Why would I back an enterprise that they started, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I guess as you continue and as you improve and as you start getting traction, people trust you uh, more and make your problems get more complex, right? Like, you know, back in the day, our problems were probably like, oh, we can't get a client meeting. And now our problems are like, can't get a client meeting, you know, um, you need to do hiring, cannot get good talent, things like that. It just, it just goes bigger and bigger. But I think... Mm-hmm you also have more resources to support you as you go further. It sounds like you've really come a long way in the past two, three years. Yeah, it's been um, two and a half years now, I would say. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think, um, I mean, we would want it to go, you know, be a lot further at this stage. But I think uh, I think we, uh, you know, we, we coped with our university education as well for the first, uh, I would say, two, uh, one and a half years. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, um, we have only started working on this full time very recently. So uh, I think in that way, we, um, I think, we are, I mean, we, we are pretty ambitious. So, you know, we want to go further, but I guess we also want to stop uh, sometimes and, you know, tell ourselves that, you know, we're all right. We will get there. <laughs> yeah. So I think, uh, I think we're staying optimistic. Yeah. Slow and steady wins the race, right? <laughs> Yeah. So I want to tap into your expertise in being a woman in the STEM field, specifically technology. So, I mean, this is something I've always wondered, but I've never really asked anyone before. But has your gender specifically impacted your journey with VR360 or with the VR technology industry in any way? 
Right. Okay. I think I think that's a very very important question, and I think mm-hmm. I also want to, you know, um, I also want to provide a context that, despite being you know women in this field, uh, my co-founder and I both were educated in, uh, you know, we like our university degrees are both in like humanities degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why we started this company was really because our love for education mm-hmm. and tech to us weren't really, uh, as it wasn't really the primary thing that we wanted to target. But I think for us, we wanted to, we had a vision of education that we wanted to achieve and tech just seemed like the best way to uh, reach it. Right. So I guess that's how we found ourselves in this, um, you know, STEM space and this tech space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, you know, very, very fortunately we have had, we, we have currently, um, you know, developers on a team who believe in the vision as well and provide, you know, their great expertise. Uh, but to go back to your question, I think, mm-hmm. um, I honestly think that it, I can't say that it hasn't been a problem, um, but I would say that it hasn't been a problem, you know, that's, in your face kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. no one really comes up to you and say, sorry, I don't believe in this product because you're a woman, mm-hmm. right? I think the way you see it is that I think a lot of people, once they see the product, they don't really care about who the people behind this are, uh, you know, um, they just want the product, right? But I think how we have faced uh, probably some form of, you know, like microaggression is probably through like comments, right? Mm-hmm. Um Sometimes you get people who are like, oh, uh, you know, I see you guys going so far. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, girl power all the way, women empowerment all the way. But, you know, they're kind of being condescending in the sense that, you know, uh, no women, ha- you know, they no, not no women have done this before, but more like in their circle, they do not see women doing this. Yeah. In their circles, they, they do not have exposure to women actually being in a tech startup. So yeah. a lot of times because the tech startup scene is so male dominated, I feel like, you know, a lot of the comments that come towards us are well-intentioned, but also they come from a place of, wow, like, you know, I'm surprised that you as a woman can do something like that. Mm. And um, I think, but I do think that, you know, uh, the further the further you go and the and the circles that you get into like uh, you know like maybe you get into like circles of more experienced entrepreneurs I think at that point um, the I don't I didn't think that gender was a problem anymore I think it's mm-hmm. when you start out right it's when you start out maybe when we were in university and you know mm-hmm. we were started out joining like small um, small startup programs that 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 is when it kind of seemed like a problem because you mostly see university boys doing startups. You don't really see young girls coming and doing startups. But once you get into a more experienced space, like, you know, um, I think recently we were part of this, not just one, but multiple startup uh, communities or accelerator programs or incubator programs, which had more experienced entrepreneurs. And you, you kind of almost see like, you know, like perhaps, uh, men to women ratio of like uh, you know sixty to forty percent, mm-hmm. right? I, I think at that stage you you know that uh, you know a lot there are a lot of women out there who are also trying to you know run their companies and they're well respected mm-hmm. in the field. And you also see so many support systems for for women entrepreneurs. But I think these are not available to younger girls, which I okay. think is a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, I think um, you know. A lot of times, I guess, when we are younger, we don't have the, you know, I think girls generally, um, in, when it comes to confidence and when it comes to, like, actually um, showcasing their talent, I think women tend to shy away, whereas like, younger men you know, tend to be very confident. And um, 
but I think as women get older, they they are you know they are able to also uh, confidently portray their ideas. I'll give you one example. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, we we have been talking to this like uh, um, this this fund that um, you know that is interested in investing in female founders and interested in investing in products that are, you know, that cater to women. And, you know, we have been talking to them and, you know, she, maybe asked her, we were like, Oh, why are you, you know, why are you starting this fund? Like, what's the, I understand you want to help women. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, there are a lot of statistics that says women come like companies run by women don't get funded. And we were like, but what's your, you know, what's, what's your idea for this? And she said, something along the lines of when women pitch, they bring out the focus of, you know, to the challenges there are. They are very cautious. So they don't, you know, go out and say, I'm going to conquer the world. They go out and say that, hey, this is my plan. There might be challenges along the way. And this is how I want to solve to conquering the world. And a lot of investors find it a, a turn off because they feel like you're not ambitious. And I don't think it has... Um, directly anything to do with gender i don't think anyone discriminates but when a man goes out and pitches the same idea and you know just uh, is able to confidently showcase that without any cost like without any cautionary tale it mm-hmm. seems more confident and so the, you know this fund you know uh, they were talking about how they appreciate women you know like like uh, women's style of pitching, which is uh, more cautionary as well. And, you know, it resonated so much with me and my co-founder because for a long time, you know, and we have been, I don't know how many pitches you have done, probably thousands at this point, but a lot of times we have been told that, oh, you're, you don't seem ambitious enough. And, you know, we always took it as face value. We were like, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe we are too cautious. We are, maybe we are a bit reserved as people. Mm-hmm. And then you know, when someone else put this gender lens to this and we were like, oh my God, this actually, this is pretty true. Yeah. When you like, you know, the way men and women pitch are very different and the outcomes that happen after these pitches are very different as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I hear you. Definitely. I, I'm not sure whether or not that like uh, the tendency to be cautious comes from the sort of historical impact where maybe women have to be more prepared for challenges along their way, especially career-wise. The effort that you put into Via360 and creating a product that doesn't need you to prove for it to be received by the general education sector is really just inspiring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you so much. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. You know, I really think it has so much to do with um, the history. It has so much to do with how women in our, you know, like Asian societies are brought up as well. Yeah. Uh, we, I guess we, from a young age, we are told to be like, you know, more proper. Like I think at the back of our head, we're always worried about, you know, if we frown how we might come about you know if we yeah. uh do if we you know make a little mistake you know how we can um we will be portrayed to uh, to to everyone else but i think from a young age men are um, you know boys are actually encouraged to be more adventurous they're like yeah you know like boys can go out and do whatever they want like even young kids you know mm-hmm. um like you let them let let the boys be where else you know you caution uh, you are more cautious about the girls you want them to behave properly compared to the boys and i think i'm no i i know i'm generalizing a lot but i think it happens and i think it really translates into you know all these career choices that women take and all this uh you know the way women portray themselves even in the professional world yeah i think also it might come from this 
need to feel secure because there is a lot at stake. You know, it's not only your lifestyle, it's your career and uh, the family perception, public perception of you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think, you know, if you go, if you look into the entrepreneurship scene, even um, in Singapore, I guess, um, like I mentioned, right, uh, when we were just going to like university events and uh, university startup scene events, we were, you know, we were probably one of the few girls over there, right? But I think it's so inspiring to see that, you know, um, um, there are so many women out there, you know, like part of uh, older than us who are doing such great things and you know when we started going to like more established circles of like uh, you know the startup scene we, we started seeing these women and I think it's just so inspiring and you do see that you know um, these women are holding it on their own and actually driving these companies and you know people respect them um, you know people see value in that so I think um, I think they're I won't say education, but I think there needs to be more inspiration happening for the younger girls, right? I feel like um, at a younger age, if I saw these women, I would be more inspired and less cautious. Yeah, definitely. There should be more stories and like coverage on these uh, high-profile, high-achieving women so that other young girls know that it's it's not only an option it's also possible definitely definitely yeah so i wanted to go back to something you mentioned about um the operations of via 360 at the moment and i understand it's uh centered around using vr to promote experiential learning uh but also awareness for social causes am i right about that yeah yeah sure so maybe i'll tell you a little bit about the company itself Hmm. um so um, at Vera360, essentially what we're trying to do is create greater access to experiential learning. And, um, you know, experiential learning on its own um, is very, very broad. So um, if you look back into your school days, these are your science lab experiments. These are the field trips that you took, could be humanities related, could be social issues related. You know, these are also... Um, mostly like the hands-on practices that you get that help you, um, you know, in a way, solidify your learning from lectures or worksheets. So um, this is the goal, you know, and VR fits perfectly into this because um, using VR, we're actually able to create lab simulations without the schools and universities actually pouring thousands of dollars into, you know, renovating their labs so often. We can also simulate field trips uh, with VR. Um, For the social issues, it's very, very special because using VR, what we can do is also put people in the shoes of, um, you know, a, a victim of some sort. So, you know, in the past, what we have done is, uh, you know, a whole series of VR educational tools for mental health education. So this where you know, putting people in the shoes of uh, a person going to depression, a person going through um, anxiety, a person going through schizophrenia. So these were the three that we did in the past. Um, it could also be putting a person in the shoes of an el- elderly, you know, who's, who isn't able to control their movements and actually um, helping them develop more empathy towards these people. So these are, you know, the kind of content that we create. But um, for a sustainable business, you know, we, we did want to create a place where teachers and school administrators, you know, can easily integrate this content into their curricula. So I think uh, what a lot of what we see in Asian schools is that, um, you know, teachers are very overworked. At the same time, you know, schools do not have enough funding for this kind of experiential learning, like field trips and uh, for 
you know, newer and newer kind of labs. So we essentially, our product is a, uh, is a place where you have libraries of VR content, 3D models, interactive quizzes. So once you go into the platform, teachers are actually able to combine their worksheets and their lecture slides with these curricular specific content. So for example, if I am a biology teacher today and I'm delivering a lecture on, um, you know, the human body, um, of course, you know, as teachers, we love like worksheets. We love our PowerPoint slides. So the teacher is able to uh, upload those things onto the platform. But what they're also able to do is uh, get 3D models of parts of the human body um, and combine that with their existing materials uh, very easily. It's like drag and drop. Mm-hmm. Same thing to do with like, VR experiences. They're suppo- uh, they can pick VR experiences from the library and then combine it with these materials. And, you know, it's kind of like Zoom. A class code is generated and you just send that class code over to your students and they they can have these experiences on their phones. So we want to make it as accessible as possible. So once the students get their code, they go to the slides, they go to the worksheets, but they also have the VR experience on their phones. They are also able to play around with the 3D models. Um, so it's really giving them that hands-on experience while they're going to the traditional materials. That's really a game changer. I can already see it changing the way history classes and social studies and character development classes are being taught at schools. Like suddenly those like controversial points that, that people used to avoid are now more interactive and easier to cover. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really the goal, you know. Um, I think while we uh, we want to make learning fun, I think on the other side of the coin, you do have like really overworked teachers. You have teachers, you know, who find it really difficult to find materials as well. We want to make their lives easier too. We want to help them, um, you know, teach better as well. We're trying to, uh, you know, reach out to all these teachers and give them this content, show them a way to deliver this content as easily as possible. And um, I at the end of the day, I think for us, we do, um, you know, we do believe in the power of, um, uh, you know, having physical teachers in the classroom. So I think this platform is an embodiment of that where, you know, you cannot, you can't teach anything without a teacher. You need teachers there, but um, it's just an extra boost and extra content to help teachers teach better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm not just thinking about the, pandemic situation that's going on now and maybe because of the impact that the pandemic has had certain uh like road trips or certain trips that we go on overseas in order to invoke a certain kind of learning might not Mm -hmm. be uh possible in the future and so this could be something that uh not really takes the place of that but also brings about the same impact yeah, definitely, definitely. And so uh, you mentioned that you guys started out uh, using VR to sort of create the, the experience for uh, mental health awareness. And yeah. I was really curious about that because I think when it comes to subject matter like that, there is usually inertia on the part of the public when it comes to just learning and changing their opinions about um, certain social issues or established uh, stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on this? And do you think that um, that inertia has affected the way that the public will receive uh, this product? 
Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. When we started out with mental health education, honestly, we, um, you know, it was really a bet against ourselves <laughs> because I mean, like I mentioned, we were, you know, we were really like young students back then and um, no one really cares about your opinion on mental health education, um, you know, um, at that stage. So I think, um, you know, it was difficult. So what ended up happening was that we just created all these VR content on our own, um, but we did get, you know, help from experts to put together like um, lesson plans. So, uh, and, you know, validate our, um, the, the, basically the, the stories that we were tr- uh, telling through VR. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had people from IMH look over these content. We had people from the Health Promotion Board look over this content um, and Yale News College professors look over the content and, you know, you know, we validate the experiences that we are showing. Um, but, you know, our client base, you know, what we thought our client base was, was really schools and we wanted to, you know, just do workshops in schools. Mm-hmm. But it ended up becoming really difficult because these are not topics that schools want to talk about. Yeah. So we went to schools to pitch this whole idea of a VR assisted curricula uh, for mental health education. And we say, you know, give us, you know, your enrichment program time, give us some of your CCA time, you know, let us, let us do these. And I think there was a lot of interest in using VR, but most of the schools wanted to change the content and not mm-hmm. drastically, to be honest, but they, they wanted to call it emotional resilience instead of using terms like depression. Mm-hmm. So, um, mental health education kind of became uh, like an emotional resilience curricula for us. And we talked about the different emotions that you can feel and, you know, how you can deal with them. So mental health, you know, education on its own became a very, very small part of what you wanted to do, what we ended up doing with some of these schools. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side, some of the other schools wanted to convert this idea of VR-assisted curricula into anti-cyberbullying. And um, I think, you know, I think emotional resilience and anti-cyberbullying, they're both very, very worthy causes that we went into as well. Um, but I think what we ended up realizing was that it's going to be, it's going to be an uphill battle if we push our vision of mental health education. Um, and I think we, we have to evolve it to suit the needs of, you know, the educators because they, you know, they didn't want to bring up these topics with their students directly. So I think, uh, you know, one, on one hand, we were very happy to utilize it, you know, utilize this concept of VR-assisted curricula to help the educators teach a worthy, you know, a worthy topic. But at the same time, on the other side, I think, you know, it didn't really, uh, we couldn't really go forward with the, with, I guess, the more rebellious and ambitious ideas of mental health education that we had. Um, but what did end up happening was that we were able to do a research study with uh, Yale and College's psychology department using the initial uh initial uh, mental health education content that we developed. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we ended up uh, producing a, a research paper. Uh, I, think, I think there were like 100 over, applic- sorry, 100 over participants who went, the, who went through the interviews, who looked at the content and you know, gave their feedback. And uh, we did like surveys with them and things like that. So I think it did benefit in some ways, but um, you know, on, uh, on the other hand, it didn't really trickle down to the school level uh, as much as we would have liked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds like bringing subject matter like mental health into the school environment, especially maybe in the local context, is yeah. a larger conversation. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I think it is a larger conversation that is, you know, that doesn't, that probably doesn't benefit, uh, you know, with, um, I would, you know, for lack of a better word, like vendors or coaches like us coming in and doing a four week long workshop. I think these conversations need to be, um, you know, needs to need to have like their parents, their families, and uh, their teachers involved on a regular basis. And I don't think, uh, as a society, we are there yet. So I think, um, you know, it was it was probably best that we didn't just go in and, you know, teach these workshops for a month and then abruptly, mm-hmm. like, you know, that might have done more more damage um, than good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can already visualize the impact that that would have. And it really just speaks to the reliability of the, the content, the product that you have created. And, I mean, I just wanted to go into the sort of goal of uh, social enterprises like yours, do you think that evoking social change through education is a was sort of the larger goal that you were going into, or is it um, does that evolve? Mm. I think yeah. Um, I I think in general, right? I, I think if any company, I guess that's in in the field of education, right? I think our vision you know, you might be very, very commercialized, right? Mm-hmm. You might be a tuition center. But I think there's two uh, two things that I think generally go in, uh, you know, any kind of education company's mind. Um, one is access and one, um, I guess the other one is the quality of education. Mm-hmm. So I guess the goal have, you know, for any education company, right, I guess the goal is always to either increase access to some kind of educational, um, you know, tool or content, or increase the quality of the education that you receive. And um, I think, in general, the goal for us have you know evolved to create more access. But I guess the world of education is so broad and it's so um, traditional. I think it's very difficult to individually have a mark or individually actually uh, you know change the scene. So I think um, I think in general people pick different areas where they want to have an impact. And for VR 360, you know, it has changed over time. When we started out, we say we want to use VR for education. Let's start out with mental health education. And I think that was the scene we were at. But I guess over time, we evolved to say that actually it's a better job for us to uh, focus on broader experiential learning. And, you know, I think, you know, we are at a capacity where we can zoom out a little bit and go slightly broader. But I don't think, um, I don't think individually we can have any, um, not any impact, but I will say individually, I think it's very difficult to change the education scene because, you know, it's so traditional. So now that the industry, the education tech industry is evolving, I'm very optimistic because, you know, now you, because specifically because of COVID, you see the landscape changing, you know, there's, there, so, uh, you know, schools and um, your universities are adopting so much technology now, which they have, should have done, you know, way before because it would have improved the quality of education. It would have improved the access to education, but, um, you know, uh, because these institutions have been so traditional, they refuse to do it for so long. Um, but I think as the landscape grows, as the mindset changes, I think we can all make, uh, you know, uh, we can all make a better impact to, you know, uh, achieve those two goals, which is access and quality. So 
I have to ask, what kind of progress would you like to see either with Via360 or the larger society or education in general? Yeah, um, I think in general, you know, I guess because it's, it's a question of the larger change, right? I would definitely like to say that um, I th- um, it's really a change to do with access. Like, I really hope that, you know, using Via360, not just Singaporean schools, which, by the way, you know, I mean, we criticize the Singapore education system a lot um, you know, in this in this industry. But if you look regionally, regionally right, mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, it's, it's really, it's really uh, a lot forward. Um, but I think we really want to create greater access to these little joys of your schooling life. So, you know, there are schools um, in, in Indonesia, in Vietnam, in the Philippines that do not have a functional lab and we hope that you know using vr360's products they can they can actually uh, still go through their lab experiments still have you know um, these lab simulations they can still go on field trips right and that's why you know uh, when we talk about vr right for vr360 we, we always make products on mobile vr so you know if you want to do away with the hardware you can do away with the hardware it's really simple so we really want to create more access to these and i think there um I think education should be so much more than just looking to worksheets and just looking to lectures or just listening to lectures. I really think that experiential learning is something that makes your schooling life memorable. I think experiential learning is something that solidifies your learning. And I think, you know, um, while regionally there is, you know, access to education in general is being created as well, right? Even in remote areas. I hope that um, that quality of uh, education can improve if we can put in accessible ways of experiential learning. Yeah. 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 So I think that's really the bigger vision. Like we do want to provide um, all these kind of like experiential learning to you know people even in the remotest places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's really so true. I mean more than just like the memory or like the and making education more enjoyable it's also the the lessons that you experience or you really get to feel are the ones that stay with you the longest I mean I still remember like the little things when like we used to go to the zoo or like Vivo City to learn about math yeah yeah these are really just the little things that um, we will take with us throughout our lifetimes yeah definitely so just before we round off I'd like to ask if you have any words of advice for other young girls who might have an interest in the industry that you're working in in STEM careers or starting an ed tech social enterprise yeah I think oh my god like if I look back you know at my younger days I I think I'll really sit myself down and tell myself so many things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, firstly, it's really like, um, I think don't be too afraid to, uh, you know, to showcase what you know. I think for for go- younger girls, you know, we, uh, for some reason, we do not, we, you know, we may know a lot, but we do not seem to be very confident in portraying it. Or, you know, I, I, I still do this a lot. Like, you know, when I know something for certain, I will say, oh, I think this is true. When I know for 100% this is true, right? And I think um, 
for from a young age, uh, I guess girls we are told don't be too bossy, right? So we always shift our language, and I think you really don't have to do that, right? You can if you know something, you know, just go forward with it, and I think don't be scared to be opinionated, um, you know. Definitely, always be open-minded, learn from people, but don't be scared to speak up because you know you have so much to offer to the world. And if people shut you down just because you're opinionated and you know you're speaking up, you're probably in the wrong circles. Yeah, I think that's um, that's really one advice. But I think on the other side of the of the um, I guess the other side of this thing is really we see a lot of women, sorry, sorry, not women, but like a lot of young girls, you know, when they feel, uh, when they feel like, uh, you know, they're not valued or they are seen as too bossy. Some of them might, you know, they might really try to hide their femininity or they might, you know, try to be more masculine in the sense they talk on the sense they portray themselves because they, they feel like that's the only way that, you know, they will be heard. And I think to those girls, I also want to say that, you know, there's so much value to, um, you know, uh, the, the, em- the empathetic side of being, uh, you know, of being feminine, like you don't have to come out and, you know, just so that people take you seriously, you know, uh, have a, have a lower pitch, uh, you know, voice or like, you know, um, or act like a man because you think that's the only way people will take you seriously. Right. And I think, um, even if, you know, just be who you are, even if you think that you're feminine and, you know, that's how, uh, you know, you are, you don't really have to change yourself to act like a man, you know, so that people take you seriously. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're running in circles where you're only taken seriously, if you act like a man, then you're still in the wrong circles. Well, thank you so much for all the insight that you've shared. Tell our listeners where they can find you and Via360. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> I wasn't prepared for this part, but yeah, you can look us up on um, beer360.com. You can also find me, um, Adila's site on LinkedIn if you want to reach out, uh, you know, if you want to talk about a scene, uh, if you want to, you know, just have a chat about uh, education, tech, entrepreneurship, being young and, uh, you know, being uh, a woman in the scene as well. I'm happy to chat. As we Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you like the show. This has been the Truly Other podcast with a special series celebrating women in STEM. What did you find most interesting about Adila's story? Share your thoughts with us on Instagram at the Truly Other. To connect with Adila or learn more about Via360, check out the link in the description box. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you at the next show.